I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of jacked-up cars, if I could use that word, theologically. And in my cars, I learned that the noises would tell me that something is wrong. For instance, if you've had a car like mine, when you go to turn it and it goes clack, 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 you know that it's either the battery that's an issue or the alternator. But if you go to turn it and nothing happens at all, by that noise of silence, if you will, if you could you see that oxymoron, you know that it's probably something with the starter. Or maybe if you're like me, you see that check engine light in the car, and most of us, when we see the check engine light, we ignore it until something happens. Now, the other day I was coming home. We live uh, in Houston, and we live by these tollways, and so I've kind of gotten used to when my tank is on red. Anybody ever have that experience? You, you know that you've got a few more miles you can go and you feel like it's on red. Now, just dumb question, when your tank says it's red, what does that really mean, guys? Yeah, we might need to stop and get some gas, right? So again, it tells us these indicators, these signs, and, and so I thought, you know, I've seen this light before, and I'm almost close to home, and I know right around the corner, the gas station is right there. I can make it. Well, on this particular day, my car did something that it had never done before. It actually stopped. <laughs> so I'm sitting on the side of the freeway, and my wife, and, and, and see my wife, and I didn't even want to be honest. I said, guys, I just wanted to lie and, and seek forgiveness later. She said, um, honey, did you remember to get gas? Yeah, about that. And so here I'm on the side of the freeway, and, you know, praise God, they've got guys there in, in Houston on the freeways that, that come by, they're, you know, paid by the city. So I got gas and I went home. But what I recognized, there were signs the whole time. There, there were signs, there were indicators to tell me that there was something wrong, and whenever I see a check engine light, it's telling me something is wrong under the hood. And I say all that to say this, God has given us signs in our hearts when our souls are noisy. And too often we ignore those signs or we medicate those signs or we try to find ways to ignore them, but God is talking to you and I when we have a noisy soul. And if we choose to ignore the noisy soul, if we try to move around it, make excuses for it, rationalize it, and do everything else other than recognize that when my soul is noisy, God is saying, there's something wrong in my heart. There's something wrong between me and him. There's something wrong between me and others. If I ignore the noisy soul, it could cause me to be very weary and heavy laden. And I want just for a moment, if we would, uh, hopefully you have the notes in front of you and you can see it behind you. I want to talk about, just for a moment, the premise of a noisy soul. How does one know that you have a noisy soul? Because sometimes we can be so comfortable with noise that it becomes so much a part of us that we believe that it's okay. It's like abnormal has become normal and it's all right. But God has allowed us to have some check engines, if you will, of the soul, check engine lights to help us to understand that there's something wrong in our hearts. 
Let me suggest to you that a noisy soul, as we look at letter A together, a noisy soul is a mind that is bombarded, number one, with thoughts of guilt. I want to explore that for just a moment, thoughts of guilt. When you have a noisy soul, you will have thoughts of guilt, and that is the awareness in your soul that you've done something wrong, and you find yourself being downcasted in the mind. See, the problem with sin, the problem with doing wrong, is not that it's just wrong in and of itself. God has put a check engine light in our hearts to say, hey, you know that that's not right. And sometimes we choose to ignore it. We choose to rationalize it. We choose to play the blame game. We, we try to give defenses. But at the end of the day, this soul is so noisy because whatever sin issues we've been ignoring, our conscience is like that referee that just won't let it go. And it keeps reminding us something is wrong between you and God. A noisy soul is also bombarded with thoughts of, as we look at number two, a fear of judgment, a fear of judgment. Well, what does that look like? It's this impending sense of doom and anticipating that something bad is, is going to happen. It's, it's this sense of anxiety. As a result of this, your soul is loud and, and the guilt bombards it with the fear. Have you ever had that? Nothing is going on around you, but you get this impending sense of doom that something bad is going to happen and it just seems to be random. There's nothing coming at you. There's no one after you. There's nothing happening on the outside. But for whatever reason, you just get this overwhelming sense that something bad is going to happen. Ladies and gentlemen, these are some of the check engine lights that God has put in us to expose that there's something wrong in our hearts. But thirdly, I want you to see that when there's a noisy soul, your mind is not only bombarded with thoughts of guilt, your mind is not only bombarded with thoughts of fear, your mind is bombarded with the idea of just running away. And you find yourself thinking about ways to escape the pain you're feeling in your heart as a result of the loud noise that's going on. Uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, I was at the Association of Biblical Counseling, and they had a conference on suicide, and we were talking about it, and I had the um, responsibility of sharing the idea of suicide. And one of the things I shared with people is this. When someone wants to commit suicide, there are two things going on. There's either external pressures that one does not want to face or the internal pain of the heart that one is trying to escape. For instance, with Saul, the external pressure, he wanted to be killed. And when you look at Judas, the internal guilt, he wanted to take his life. But in both cases, there was something on the outside and something on the inside that created so much noise that they thought it was better to run away than to run to God. For many of you right now, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've had a noisy soul. And your soul has been bombarded with guilt and, and this fear of judgment and this, this overwhelming sense that you've got to get away. I want to suggest to you something as you look with me in your notes on letter B. Why is this happening to you? Why, why are you having these particular issues of the soul? Let me suggest to you, ladies and gentlemen, that a noisy soul is caused by trying to control the good and the bad that God controls in your life instead of enjoying and enduring 
the good and bad God ordains in your life. See, if you're like me, when stuff is good, I just want to hang around it. It's like coming to California. I never want to leave. I want to not have my plane. You know, I want to figure out ways to not go back. I love Houston, but I really enjoy being here. But you know what? There are things that have to be outside of my control that I can do nothing about. The good and the bad in my life, when I try to control it, it creates a noisy soul because God determines the good and bad in my life. God determines the seasons of good and bad in my life. I don't. Okay, you're looking at me strange like you've never heard that before. You're going to add 20 minutes to the sermon because I'm going to have to try to go explain it. And we've got to go to the Old Testament, look in the book of Ecclesiastes. That's the book right after Proverbs. We've got to look at chapter 7 when it says, who can straighten what God has bent? When things are good, consider, be happy. When things are bad, consider that God has made one as well as the other so that man will not discover what will be after him. Is that not in the Bible? So part of our challenge, ladies and gentlemen, is that we keep trying to control the good and we keep trying to run from the bad instead of learning to enjoy the good and endure the bad. And when we don't, it starts to create a noisy soul in our hearts. Let me suggest to you in our notes as we take a look at letter C, a noisy soul is caused by trying to reduce life to what you want what you think you need, living by what you think is right and wrong, resulting in living a life of self-indulgence or self-righteousness, which is all self-centeredness. Think about the story of the prodigal son, and you go back and you know that Jesus, as he was sharing the parable of the prodigal son, he was talking to the Pharisees, and as he was talking about it, you can just imagine them going, yeah, those silly Gentiles, yeah, they're so self-indulgent. And then he flips the script to talk about the son that stayed. And what I find fascinating is that on two sides of the coin, whether you're self-indulgent or you're self-righteous, it all comes down to one central theme. They're both self-centered before the eyes of God. And you and I, we can find ourselves having a noisy soul because we have reduced life to being about us. And when life is about you, you become very big and God becomes very small. And one of the things I love that Tony Evans said many years ago, he says, whatever God controls, he's responsible for. Whatever you control, you're responsible for. I find it dangerous when we try to take control of our lives. God says, okay. You think you can do better than me? Wake yourself up this morning. You think you can do better than me? You keep your heart beating. Okay, you think you got this? You make things happen. God is our sovereign, and when we reduce life to ourselves, it creates a noisy soul. If we were to take all of this and summarize it together, in essence, looking at letter D, a noisy soul is caused by trying to live life without God resulting in preoccupation with your own cares, riches, worries, and standards leading to being weary, tired from hard toil, and heavy laden, loaded down, thus a noisy soul. Now, young people are going to have to Google this, because if you are younger than 45 or so, this needs to be Googled. Anybody familiar with a chalkboard? 
Okay, for those that are not familiar with a chalkboard, Google a chalkboard. It's a fascinating tool that we used to use, us old folk used to use. How many of you remember that? And we actually had chalk. Did any of you remember the board? Amen. So there's some who understand what I'm talking about here. For those that don't Google it, it's a familiar, fascinating thing that there was chalk and you put it on a chalkboard. Okay? Now everything is so digital. You've got these digital things in the schools and everything. But back in the day, there was always that one person. You remember that person that never knew how to hold the chalk right? And ever they write on the board, you get that what sound? Oh, didn't that just drive you? It drove me crazy. I just wanted to write for the person. Stop doing it. Or that person that would just take their nails. You remember that person? And they would do what? Just go all the way down. It was a horrible, horrible sound. That's what happens, guys, when we live life outside of God's design. It's out of order, and it creates a noisy, noisy soul. So if, if we could summarize what we mean by noisy soul, looking together in the summary, a noisy soul is a soul that is downcasted, a soul that is doubtful, a soul that is devastated, a soul that is divided, a soul that is devoid of peace as a result of seeking to live life without God and depending on and submitting to God. I want to suggest to you that God has given us an answer for a noisy soul. I want to suggest to you that if your soul is noisy this morning, there is a God who wants to quiet that noisy soul, and he's given us the prescription and a promise if we were to listen to his word that could help us with a noisy soul. If you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, we want to look at together Matthew chapter 11. We want to explore the passage of Matthew 11, looking at verses 28 to verses 30. I want to read them, and then I want us to walk through from verses 28 to 29 to see the prescription for a noisy soul. And then in verse 30, I want us to understand the promise that God gives for a noisy soul. Here is Jesus talking. He says in verse 28, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, before we begin to break this down, I want you to notice there are some distinctions already from verses 28 to verses 29. Notice in verse 29, he will give you rest, but in verse 29, you will find rest. There's a distinction between the rest in verse 28 and 29, and they come at different phases, as we'll see in a moment, in our relationship with God. So let us explore together the prescription that we see in verses 28 to verses 29 as he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. As we see, looking at point two, letter A, God's call of coming to him is again a call of establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ. So in this first aspect of come, he's calling us to come to him. He's saying, hey, if you're weary, if you're hardly toiling down, if there's heavy laden upon your heart, come to me because why? Your soul is entangled with sin and you need to come to me. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a call to salvation. 
You have a noisy soul, come to me. I want to deliver you from the penalty of sin. I want to deliver you from the power of sin. I want to deliver you from the penalty of sin. And I want to put you in a right standing and right relationship with me and the Father by way of the Son, I mean by the way of the Spirit. Come to me. And too often when people are having a noisy soul, they have not establish this in their lives. They've not come to Jesus for salvation. But notice in this prescription, he could have stopped there, but Jesus goes on, notice in the text, then he says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you. What in the world is Jesus talking about? This, ladies and gentlemen, this call to take the yoke, this is to submit to Jesus Christ in discipleship. This is a call to sanctification. What a powerful reality. Jesus gives us a comprehensive plan for how to quiet a noisy soul. Step one, you've got to come to be delivered from your sins, a call to salvation. Step two, you've got to take my yoke upon you and learn from me. This is a call of sanctification. Rest comes by way of the master, but this coming of rest is in two categories and two distinctives, and we're going to get there in a moment, but the beauty is God's prescription for a noisy soul is not a concept. It's not a formula. God's prescription for a noisy soul is a relationship with him. And he's calling us in two phases. He says, come to me, a call to salvation. Then he says, learn of me, a call to sanctification. But notice there are two specific things that Jesus talks about learning. And I want us to take a moment to explore that together. Notice what he says in verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Number one, I am gentle. I am gentle. Number two, I am humble. I am humble in heart. God calls us to learn two significant things from him. And again, it's not all that he's calling us, but these are very significant things to learn. And as we learn these things, our lives can be built upon these particular principles. But notice he says, learn that I am gentle. So letter C, God calls us to learn gentleness from him. And what does that mean? It's a willing submission from the heart, a willing submission from the heart to the rule of God over your life. Watch this, without grumbling, without resisting, a willing submission to the agenda of God. Let me ask you a dumb question. Can you follow Jesus without delay, debate, or discussion? Can you willingly accept that now that you belong to him, this salvation freed you from the penalty of sin, freed you from the power of sin, freed you from the one-day presence of sin so that you now can live in holiness with God? Are you a willing participant in this discipleship program? Can God tell you to do this and not do this, to go here, to not go there? Can you willingly in your heart follow our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Ladies and gentlemen, part of what Jesus wants us to learn is gentleness. And in the context here, gentleness is that willing submission. How mad are you with God when he wants you to do things you don't feel like doing? How much of your Christianity is based upon your mood and how much of your Christianity is based upon your covenant? 
What I've discovered over the years is that baby Christians operate out of their mood, mature Christians operate out of their covenant. And the more you operate out of your covenant, it's not what I feel in the moment, it's what God has said in the moment. And yeah, I may not feel like it, but because God has said it and he's given me the power and he's with me, I will move because he asked, not because I necessarily feel like it. Now, can I tell you a secret? I love all my parishioners, but I don't necessarily like all of them. It's a little secret, and they're not here, so they will never hear this. I mean, I love them all, but I don't like them all. But you know what that means? When some of my parishioners call, I don't necessarily feel like shepherding. But my covenant is to take care of those who are under my charge. And when I operate out of my covenant and not by my mood, it's by my faith and my responsibility that I move beyond my feelings and move into the responsibility of laying down my life to make sure that their burdens are bared, their needs are met, and the truth is proclaimed to these individuals. Why? Because I love them more than I'm consumed with liking. How do I get there? Because God told me to take his yoke and learn to willingly follow are you learning the gentleness? But notice, that's just one aspect. Notice in the passage, he says, take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle. And then again, the conjunction. Remember conjunction? Conjunction, junction. What's your function? Google it, young people, because they're looking at me like, I don't know what he's talking about. That's another one. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. You guys remember those things? Okay. For those that know what I'm not talking about, Google it. You, you'll be fascinated with that insight. But notice the conjunction, he's adding something there. It's not just one thing, it's hooking up words, phrases, and clauses. You remember that? So here's this conjunction. Jesus is saying, not only learn gentleness from me, I need you to learn humility from me. And let's take a look at that together. God calls us to learn humility from him. What are we talking about? A willing disposition from the heart and a willing practice to esteem others above yourself. A willingness to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ above making a name for yourself. Jesus says, listen, not only do I want you to come to me, which is your salvation, I want you to take my yoke and learn of me. This is your sanctification. I want you to learn two central principles. I want you to learn to be gentle, to willingly follow me without debate, delay, or discussion. I want you to walk in humility. I want you to put others before yourself. I want you to make my name valuable in the lives of others, not your name. You know, the story is told about these particular men who were seeking to candidate for a church. One was a little older, one was a little younger. And as they were candidating for the church, the younger guy had just got out of that seminary, and he had a lot of insight. And so they told him, listen, if you are going to candidate for this church, we both want you to preach on Psalm 23. The younger guy says, oh, great, I've just finished my fourth class of Hebrew. This will be easy peasy to present. And so he gets up, and as he is presenting, he breaks down every word in Hebrew and explains the passage from there and gives all the historical evidence and all the details. And when he finished Psalm 23, folks said, you know, I don't know what he's talking about, but he sure is deep. Great job. The older guy gets up. 
goes through the exact same passage, never mentions the Hebrew language, not a dry eye in the house. Younger preacher goes over to him and says, listen, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I know I did way better than you. What is your secret? He said, son, you know the 23rd Psalm, but I know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. When Jesus is calling us to know him, it's not just an intellectual exercise about him. He wants us to come to experience the reality of his presence. And that starts with salvation, and then it moves into sanctification. God is calling us to have a quiet soul by an intimate relationship with God. Some people know the grace of God intellectually. Some are experiencing the grace of God experientially. Some people understand the sovereignty of God intellectually. Some people are in the reality of his sovereignty. God wants us to come and walk in his presence. He says in Psalm 16, and thy presence is fullness of joy and thy right hand of pleasures forever. Jesus says, if you have a noisy soul, come to me. Salvation. Walk with me. Learn of me. Sanctification. If we could summarize this together, guys. Look with me in your notes. Here's a summary. We must come to Jesus Christ to receive salvation. We must walk with Jesus Christ in sanctification. Watch this. We must learn the nature and the love of Jesus Christ and relate to him accordingly, letting the mind of the master be the master of our minds. Guys, if your soul is noisy, there's a reason why your soul is noisy. And it's not the people in your life. It's not your past. It's not your parents. It's not the predicaments that you are going through. It's not the physical problems. It's not all the things that you are blaming externally. Your soul is noisy because there's something happening on the inside between you and God. I know you want to fix your parents. I know you want to blame the past. I know you believe it's all these people. I know you think it's all these problems, but all of these things are not the reason for the condition of your soul. Your soul is noisy as an indicator that there's something going on between you and God, and it's either a salvation issue or a sanctification issue. As we have explored together, looking at this passage, we've seen the prescription for a noisy soul. I want us to explore together the promise of a noisy soul. And as we see the promise, it is profound because this is where we get into the details of understanding the distinctions between the gaining and gain or finding rest and him giving us rest. And I think it is so fascinating when we see this reality. Let's go back to the passage. Notice he says, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. There's a rest that you gain from coming to him. And verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest. One is given, one is gained. One is given, one is gained. What in the world is Jesus talking about? I am so glad you want to know. I have just been dying to share this with you. Let's look at the promise. When it says in verse 28 that we will be given rest, or verse 29 will be given rest. Again, this is Christ's saving work 
to give rest for our souls if we come to him. What is this rest? It is to be refreshed. It is to be revived in soul from spiritual death to spiritual life through salvation. This can be defined as peace with God. What is peace with God? It's being legally declared right with God. This rest is given through salvation. This is our justification, ladies and gentlemen. So I want you to understand that the rest that is given at the point of salvation is the peace with God, the reconciling of the sinner to be a saint, the changing of position, the changing of condition, the changing of your status from darkness to light. He says, if you come to me, I will give you peace with me. This is what we see in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, when it talks about being justified through faith. We have peace with God. Unbelievers have no peace with God, which is why they have a noisy soul. Salvation reconciles them to this God, and now they finally have peace. But this is half the story. Do sinners or do saints sin? What will be the answer to that? I was hoping you were going to say yes, or pastor, you and I were going to pray (laughs) because you've got some serious explaining to do from the Word. So if saints sin, then that means according to Ephesians, we sometimes grieve the Spirit of God within us So that means that there is a lack of peace that we tend to lose when that happens. See, we never can lose peace with God. That's our our salvation, our justification. That will never disappear. But we'll discover as saints, our problem is no longer peace with God. Our problem we'll see is we lose the peace of God when we walk in the flesh. Notice he says... In this verse, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Letter B says we will find rest. That is inward tranquility while one performs necessary labor. What are we talking about here? If we follow him, it is relief from anxiety. It is relief from trouble. It is relief from the pain of guilt as we walk in progressive sanctification in Jesus Christ. This rest can be defined as the peace of of God, tranquility of soul as a result of following Jesus Christ. This rest is gained through sanctification. See, here's the problem we have. We lack peace at many times in our life. If it's an unbeliever, you lack peace because you've not come to him, and that's when you get peace with God. But as saints, we find ourselves with a noisy soul. Why? Because we're not lacking peace with God. Our justification is secure. We're lacking the peace of God because there's sin in our lives that we're making excuses for and not making confessions. There are some areas in our lives where we're not lining up with God's will and God has to get our attention with a noisy soul to say, hello, something is wrong. Your soul is noisy because you stopped living what I've taught you. There are some areas in your life where you know what to do and you know how to do it, but you're not doing it. There are some areas in your life where you're not knowing what to do and God is trying to get your attention and then you come to church, the pastor preaches a sermon and you go, that's it. 
And as you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord as a believer, and as you confess and you repent and you replace, you find the peace of God. Now, let me ask you a stupid question. Does anyone come to counseling with peace? Imagine that. So if people don't come to counseling with peace, I've got a job to do. I've got to figure out, are they lacking peace with God? Or are they lacking the peace of God? Because they're lacking peace. And once I figure out which one it is, I go to work trying to guide them according to God's will. If they're lacking peace with God, I'm giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm showing them the wonders of God. I'm showing them how he can deliver them out of the penalty, the power, and soon the presence of sin. If they've already come to Jesus Christ and they have peace with God and they are secure in that reality, then I'm finding out where in your life are you not listening and yielding to the precepts in the presence of God because that's a peace of God issue and there's something either you haven't learned or there's something you've stopped living and it's my job as your shepherd is my job as your professor is my job as your teacher is my job as your friend to lead you to confess to repent to replace to walk in this new thing so that you can experience the peace of God Stupid question. What does it say in Galatians chapter 5? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what? Huh. Let, let, let's do some logical things here. I'll never forget this lady came to me. She said, Pastor, you got a minute? And before I could say I had a minute or not, she started talking. So I guess I had a minute. She went for 30 minutes straight telling me about her husband. Oh, he was the scum of the earth. Oh, he was a hound dog. Everything you can think of, she went on and on and on. And then she said, and I have no peace in my house. I was like, got it. I said, man, let me ask you a stupid question. You tell me that you are a Bible scholar and that you've been in BSF for most of your life. And, you know, you've given me all these wonderful platitudes that you know the Bible. And it's encouraging to know these things, but you just said that you have no peace. Now, I want you to turn, and I'm sure you know this since you've been studying BSF for most of your life. Go to Galatians chapter 5. And we started looking at walking the Spirit, and I said, okay, but keep going down. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I said, what, what's that third attribute there? Peace. I said, so here's what's fascinating to me. You said you have no peace in your house. And the implication is you lack peace because of this, let me get it right, this mean old man, this horrible person of a husband, this terrible person you married is why you lack peace in your house. That's right. Okay, but ma'am, you who've studied BSF and you've been in church all your life and you who know all these wonderful preachers as you listen to on the radio, help me understand here this text. Because this text and your words don't seem to match. She said, what are you saying? I said, well, you tell me. Is the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Then when there's a lack of peace in one's life, is it because of the people in their lives? Is it because of their past? Is it because of their parents? Is it because of the predicaments around them? Is it because of the pain that they're experiencing? Because this text says that if there's a lack of peace, that means that you're walking in the flesh, which means that you're all about you and not about Jesus. Is it possible that this mean old man and this hound dog of a man that you've married, yes, those things may be true about him, but is it possible that your reaction to him is causing the lack of peace in your heart? 
According to scripture, it would suggest to us and basically make it plain that your lack of peace is not because of his ugliness, it's because of yours. You want peace in your life. It won't come by trying to change your past and changing the people and blaming the predicaments and and your parents. You want peace in your life. You've got to recognize, am I lacking peace with God, salvation, or is the peace of God, sanctification? Something has to change with me, not what's outside of me. What's outside of me is being used to expose me. Let me see if I can give an example of this. I used this the other day. How many tea drinkers do I have in the room? Oh, good. I don't drink tea, so you can help me if I'm wrong in any part of this. You've got that funny little thing, that little tea bag, right? My wife does it all the time. And you take that funny little tea bag. It's got a flavor to it. Is that correct? And you got all these different flavors, which are kind of weird, right? So you got all these weird different flavors that you like. And, and you get the water and you put the tea bag in the cup that's filled with water. Is that right? Now, Correct me if I'm wrong, but the water just brings out what's in the tea bag. Is that correct? The water doesn't determine the flavor, it just brings out what's in the tea bag. Am I right about that? Guess what? People, parents, past, problems are the water, you are the tea bag. They're not making you who you are, they are bringing out what's already there. And when you have a noisy soul, God is trying to get your attention either for a salvation reality that you lack or for the sanctification reality that you've stopped. Either there's something you've stopped doing that you need to get back to or there's something God wants you to learn to do that you need to develop in. And where there is a lack of peace, there is a lack in either relationship or fellowship with our Lord, our Savior our king. Are you walking with me so far? Ladies and gentlemen, a noisy soul is because of what's happening on the inside, not on the outside. And a noisy soul is a check engine light to tell you that there's something that needs to happen between you and God. So walk with me again. As we look at letter B, I want to read it through one more time. We will find rest, inward tranquility, while one performs necessary labor for our souls if we follow him, relief from anxiety and trouble, relief from the pain of guilt as we walk in progressive sanctification in Jesus Christ. This rest can be defined as the peace of God, tranquility of soul as a result of following Jesus Christ. This rest is gained through sanctification. But then Jesus says, in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What in the world is he talking about? Well, let's explore this yoke being easy. Looking at letter C means this. His agenda of discipleship is well fitted and suited for you. It's adapted to fit you. As you submit to his agenda, God's purpose is fulfilled in you and through you, resulting in pleasantness for you and glory to God. My yoke is easy. I have so designed discipleship to fit you. Your suit will fit you. Now, over the years, I hate to say it, but my suits have had to change. Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. 
one size used to work, and then I feel like I'm in that same size, and my wife reminds me, honey, that is not going to fit. I know what I'm doing, and I put it on, and I'm like, help me take this suit off. And I have to find the right suit that is well fitted for me to say, ah, this works. Discipleship will fit you. God has so orchestrated life that as you walk according to what he has sovereignly designed for you, it will fit you. And the easy here is not that life will be easy, is that you will be able to adjust to whatever God provides and brings in your life as you learn to walk with him according to his will and good pleasure. Can I, can I share it to you this way? As you go through things, you will grow through things. See, many of us, we're just going through, and we're not growing through, and God is such a wonderful God, you will pass the test. So guess what he does? He'll let you keep going through until you start to grow through. And the more we learn this reality, his discipleship, it's well-fitted for us. But notice, he also says in the text, as we move to close, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is he saying here in letter D? The load God has for you to carry in terms of the demands of discipleship will not be more than what you can handle. It will be bearable and not burdensome. You will be able to carry the load without it weighing you down. Stories told this man he had these sacks of potatoes on his shoulders and he was walking with these sacks of potatoes. And as he was walking with them, his friend said, hey, bro, where you going? He says, man, I'm trying to get home. And in this particular town, you know, they were still having the, the horses and the carriages and all this kind of stuff and the wagon. So this guy was on a horse with a wagon. He said, man, get in the back of the wagon, dump your stuff, man, I'll carry you home. So as the guy was riding, he noticed the guy was still holding on to the sacks while he was sitting in the back of the wagon. He said, dude, let him go. I'm carrying you the rest of the way. Now, may I be so bold as to speak for Jesus? This is a paraphrase. Jesus is saying to you, dude, let it go. I'm carrying you. Stop trying to control what you can't control. Stop carrying what's not yours to carry. Walk with me as I have designed, and the rest I will handle in your life. You know what your biggest struggle is, if I could be so bold as to say it? You're trying to call something to happen that you can't control, and you're trying to keep something from happening that you can't control, and it is wearing you out. You haven't really embraced the sovereignty of God, the sufficiency of God, the supremacy of God, the love of God, the faithfulness of God, and you keep trying to be God in places that you can never be God, and it is wearing you out. You haven't figured out yet that you will never control that man. You can never control that woman. You will never control those children the way you want. You will never be able to control life as you want. You haven't yet figured out that God's sovereignty and sufficiency is going to make up the difference in the areas where you can't cause anything to happen or you can't keep it from happening. You've not yet said, you know what? Let me just line up by the power of God in this salvation that I have been delivered unto and let me line up with the will of God in these areas and watch him carry the rest for me. Let me close by giving you this summary. Through salvation, you will be given rest. 
peace with God. And through sanctification, you will find rest, the peace of God. The lifestyle and responsibility God gives, teaches, and commands you to walk in will not be burdensome or more than what you can handle. It has been tailor-made and fitted for you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to quiet a noisy soul, God tells you to come to him in light of salvation, and then he tells you to learn of him in light of sanctification. It will quiet your noisy soul. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Our souls have been noisy and we've been blaming people. Our souls have been noisy and we've been blaming the past. Our souls have been noisy, we've been blaming the problems in our lives. Our souls have been noisy, we've been blaming the parents. And we have had all these reasons and we've wanted you to fix everything outside of us, not recognizing that the noisy soul is because of what's going on with us with you. May you deliver us from ourselves that we may experience the peace with you and the peace of you in its fullest capacity in our lives. And all of those who believe in Jesus Christ said, God bless you.